It's Monday, September 16th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. In Israel, voters are getting ready to head to the polls. It's the country's second election in less than six months. We'll connect the dots on what the big issues are ahead of Election Day and what the results could mean for both Israel and the U.S. Then, two oil facilities were attacked this weekend in Saudi Arabia. We'll give you the details. And finally, it's award season for weird science. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by John Hancock. They have over 150 years of financial expertise to help you plan for the future. We have 10 minutes to give you the news. The most complicated story today is about Israel. Hours from now, voters will cast their ballots in the country's parliamentary election for the second time in less than six months. Ahead of tomorrow's election, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is flexing his national security muscles and making a really big claim about plans to annex parts of the West Bank, if he gets elected. Palestinians say this would foil their plan to make the West Bank part of their future state. Netanyahu may be Israel's longest-serving prime minister, but he's fighting to keep his job now and making lots of promises ahead of tomorrow's election. So today we're going to get into why Netanyahu's political future is at stake tomorrow, the last-ditch campaign promises he's making, and how the results of the election could impact bigger dynamics in the Middle East. If you're having deja vu right now, didn't we talk about Israeli elections earlier this year? You're right. Israel held elections in April, and even though Netanyahu's party technically won, he couldn't build a coalition in parliament, meaning he couldn't govern. So Israeli lawmakers dissolved the parliament and called for new elections. Essentially, they re-rolled the dice. Israel has a lot of political parties, so it's hard for a single party to win a majority of seats in parliament all alone, meaning getting the most votes doesn't matter unless you can convince smaller parties to join your coalition. And that means elections in Israel really can come down to single issues. One of the big reasons why parliament dissolved in April was because of a bill that would have gotten rid of religious exemptions from Israel's mandatory military service. That bill drove a wedge between Netanyahu's secular supporters and his Orthodox Jewish supporters who strongly opposed the bill. And thanks to discord over that bill, Netanyahu couldn't get both sides on his side. Which brings us to tomorrow's election. If Netanyahu's party wins, it's likely he'll struggle to form a coalition government, again. But Netanyahu's also considered a master campaigner. He's really good at keeping his name in the headlines right before elections, which may help him out this time. On the day before the election in 2015, he made a couple of surprise announcements, including that, if elected, he'd never create an independent Palestinian state. Before that, he'd been in favor of a two-state solution. Some say that announcement boosted his support and helped him win in 2015. This year, Netanyahu's back, with more surprises. Before the April election, he touted the benefits of his relationship with President Trump. He pointed to the fact that Trump had just recognized Israeli control over land in the Golan Heights, which was seized from Syria in 1967. And now he's saying he'd annex all Israeli settlements in the West Bank, including those inside the city of Hebron, where many Palestinians live. 
One top Palestinian official, Saeb Arakat, says such a move would have consequences. Annexing the Jordan Valley in any way or form means one thing, means the burying of any prospects of peace between Palestinians and Israelis. Meanwhile, Netanyahu's Likud party is reportedly trying another last-minute attempt to get out the vote. On Monday, the Israeli paper Haaretz said it obtained recordings of voicemails that the party is scheduled to send out to supporters tomorrow, warning that lots of Israeli Arabs are going to vote. The voicemails reportedly ask supporters to make sure they leave the house and not be complacent by failing to vote. That's important because even though just one-sixth of the Israeli voting population is Arab, the top Israeli Arab party in parliament has said that this election, it could join a coalition opposed to Netanyahu. Netanyahu is also pulling out the Trump card, saying the U.S. and Israel could soon sign a mutual defense agreement that could involve the U.S. promising to defend Israel against future attacks. To be clear, Israel is already our ally, but this name drop could strengthen Netanyahu's claims that his cozy relationship with the U.S. helps keep Israel safe. And considering Netanyahu's top political opponent tomorrow is the former leader of the Israeli military, national security is considered a top issue in this election. So we don't know who's going to win the Israeli elections tomorrow. But because Netanyahu's run the show in Israel for a decade straight, it's hard to know what things would look like if he's not in charge. And there's a couple of big things coming up after the election, like the U.S.-drafted Middle East peace plan that Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is working on. The White House says this deal will finally be unveiled after the Israeli election. But it's not clear how much of the plan depends on Netanyahu being in that top job. So TBD on Middle East peace. Meanwhile, Netanyahu's political opponent, former General Benny Gantz, is calling for change. He blames Netanyahu for failing to reduce the threat from militants in Gaza, while at the same time diminishing the office of prime minister. Here's why. While Netanyahu has been basically running for re-election all year, he's also facing possible indictments on bribery and fraud charges. That hasn't helped. Now, heading into tomorrow, Gantz and Netanyahu's parties are neck and neck in the polls. So what's the skim? Israel is heading to the polls yet again after Prime Minister Netanyahu couldn't get a majority coalition in parliament. And it's possible that even if his party does better this time around, he'll face the same issues as last time. As we tape this right now, there are just hours left until Israelis head to the polls. But given how much Netanyahu tends to surprise, that's plenty of time to turn this campaign on its head again. Coming up, why markets are freaking out after two attacks on Saudi oil facilities. After the break. Every day we make a million plans. A plan for how to pay that next bill. A plan for how to stay on budget this month. But sometimes, too many plans means we forget to plan for what actually comes next. Like your future home building a family, or retirement. There are a lot of unknowns. At The Skim, we know. John Hancock does, too. So we're partnering to help with the decisions you have to make every day so it's easier to live smarter, plan smarter, figure it out, and face the future, whatever that looks like for you. Go to theskim.com forward slash future to learn more. Over the weekend, the world's biggest oil processing plant was attacked. The plant belongs to the Saudi Arabian-run company Saudi Aramco, 
and the attacks completely hit the brakes on production there. A nearby oil field was also attacked. There are no reported casualties. This is the largest sudden disruption of global oil production in years, and it's really messing with the markets. We'll tell you why, but first, we'll give you some key details. The attack happened in eastern Saudi Arabia, near the Persian Gulf and the Kingdom of Bahrain. That's important because south and west of Saudi Arabia, in neighboring Yemen, the Saudis are fighting a years-long war against rebel soldiers backed by Iran. The rebels in Yemen say they're the ones who attacked the oil plant and field. Iran said today, yeah, what they said. But U.S. officials are blaming Iran for the attack, not the rebels they're backing. And Iran is on the other side of Saudi Arabia. So it would be hard for both accounts to be true. Saudi Arabia says there's evidence the weapons used this weekend were Iranian. Regardless, the plant that was attacked this weekend produces about 5.7 million barrels of oil a day, and it was completely knocked out. That's about half of Saudi Arabia's oil production and 5% of the world's daily supply. So yeah, it's a lot. Here was U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry today. Make no mistake about it. This was a deliberate attack on the global economy and the global energy market. And the markets are feeling the heat. Less oil being produced equals higher oil prices. In the U.S., oil prices were about 12% higher than usual today. It's one of the biggest price hikes in the past 30 years. And that market disruption is making it hard for Saudi Arabia to disrupt the market in a different way. You see, before this weekend's attack, the Saudi Arabian government had been planning on taking Aramco public. That means investors would have been able to buy shares of the company on the stock market. Reportedly, the plan was to roll out the initial public offering in two parts, starting in November. But an attack like this is not a good look. Now, officials are saying, maybe not so fast. So what's being done about all this in the meantime? Obviously, the plan is to get the plant up and running again ASAP. Saudi officials hope to restore about a third of the plant's production by the end of the day. But getting back to full production could take weeks. Saudi Arabia says, in the meantime, we have a backup plan. They've saved up millions of barrels of oil in case of emergency, which they can sell in the meantime. Closer to home, President Trump has authorized the U.S. to dip into its oil reserve as well, to try to keep oil prices down. But Trump also noted on Twitter that the U.S. is now mostly exporting oil instead of importing it. So we aren't as dependent on foreign oil as we used to be. Still, this is a big deal for the rest of the world and ultimately could become an even bigger deal the longer it takes to repair the damage. And it could end up becoming yet another point of conflict between the U.S. and Iran. Yesterday was the start of National Hispanic Heritage Month, when we take time to celebrate the contributions of Americans whose ancestors are from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. The month starts on September 15th, because that's the anniversary of Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua all declaring independence. Mexico's Independence Day is today, and Chile's is on Wednesday. That's a lot of fireworks. 
The Skim is celebrating this month by highlighting some amazing women on our website. Women like Eliana Murillo, who launched the multicultural marketing team at Google, co-founded her family's tequila company, and founded an organization bringing women together called Latinas Who Brunch. Murillo's career advice? Think about the kind of impact you want to see at work and find a way to incorporate that into your job to make it more fulfilling. That's what she did at Google. She got creative so she could do the work that matters to her. We'll feature more changemakers throughout Hispanic Heritage Month at theskim.com new. P.S. GV, formerly Google Ventures, is a minority investor in the skim. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from science. You know the Nobel Prizes, prestigious awards given out each year for things like science, literature, and peace. But have you heard of the Ig Nobels? The Ig Nobels are for scientific achievement, too. But the achievement makes you laugh. This year's winners were announced last week at Harvard. The Ig Nobel Chemistry Prize went to a team of Japanese researchers who were able to estimate the total amount of saliva produced by five-year-olds. In case you were wondering, it's about 17 ounces of spit a day. The Ig Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to another group of scientists who measured just how satisfying it is to scratch an itch. Turns out, it's really satisfying. Thanks, Ig Nobel. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.